Hey, we are in a brand new moment today with the Word of God. Uh, how many of you guys have ever uh, been connected, like maybe back in the 80s and 90s, with um, what was called ropes course? Does anybody ever do any ropes course? It was real popular, and uh, yeah, it was real popular with businesses to take their employees through. Uh, and, and what we did a lot of was, um, it, we did a lot of missions trips, so we would take uh, people and take them through what's called ropes courses. Um, you'll see their high ropes courses where, you know, they'll belay you up in the trees and stuff and you got to do these trust falls and this kind of stuff. Well, we got into doing these things, but they were more low ropes courses. And what they were were team building uh, exercises, things that forced you to face some fears and things like that. And one of the ones that we always did, we called it uh, the trust walk. Everybody say trust walk. And one of the things that we would do is you would be paired up with partners and so you would blindfold one of the partners, and then in between you and your other partner would be all of these obstacles. So your blindfolded partner would try to get to you through the obstacles, and if they hit one of the obstacles, they had to go back and start over. It was called the trust wall. And the whole time, your partner's going left, 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 right, right, right. Meanwhile, the other teams are competing with you, and their people are yelling just as loud. So the whole point was you had to learn your partner's voice at the same time you kept running into things and the trust that you had to have in their voice and to be able to know their voice it was called the trust walk for a reason because every time you barely heard or didn't really hear properly you would run into something and to do all of that blindfolded come on you know what I'm talking about in and of itself is pretty scary and embarrassing I believe that that's so much more like our life with Jesus it's a trust walk every day learning his voice trying not to run into the obstacles of life by listening Listening to him as he says, left, right, back up, straight, forward. And so it's with that today that we're going to dive into this teaching today titled Trust Walk. Turn to the person next to you and say, Trust Walk. Our key scripture is found in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through six. Here we go. And I've been quoting this over and over the last two years because it has been a tough couple years to trust the Lord. Anybody know what I'm talking about? There's so many voices. There's so much stuff happening to know God's voice and to trust him in it. Look what it says in Proverbs three and five. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not. Everybody say lean not on your own understanding. One of the cool verbiages nowadays that people use language, lean in, lean into the situation, lean in. That's cool, lean in. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will or shall, uh, King James, shall direct your path. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. It's very difficult to trust the Lord when it doesn't seem like that's the right direction. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It, when, when you and I know from experience that that may not work, or we've tried before and that didn't happen properly, or we know that person, we know that if we give them a second chance, they're going to do it again and again and again. But trust the Lord. Trusting the Lord is this task that is really Christianity. Christianity is so much about trusting Jesus. In fact, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest of all the commandments? He gave us two summary thoughts. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And so what he's saying was, trust me, but you got to also love and trust others. And that is difficult, isn't it? And so I learned, I, I was reminded this year, like never before, that I don't trust any of your flesh. I don't trust your flesh. I don't trust my flesh. I don't trust my wife's flesh. I don't trust anybody, but I trust Jesus in you. I can trust Jesus in you, 
to lead you and to guide you. And to ask someone to trust me, I have to ask him literally, would you trust God working in me? Because if I'm submitted to him, then you'll be in good shape because he will rebuke me, he will correct me, he will fix me. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. And so you and I are really on this journey to trust the Lord. It is a trust walk. And I've got this key passage I want you to look at with me real quick. Start turning to John chapter 4. And as you do that, let me just identify what trust means. The word trust in your Webster Dictionary means, it says it like this, to put complete and careless confidence in. To put complete, careless confidence in. Every one of you are people of trust. You're people of trust right now. You walked in and you sat down on that chair and you didn't even check it. You put every bit of your weight on that chair. You didn't, you didn't walk up to it. And... Who manufactured it? Because I had a chair break on me one time. No, what you did was you walked in, you went plop, plop, and you set all extra three pounds right on that chair from last week. You just plopped it right on down. You trust. So you know what it is to trust. The problem happens when maybe a chair has broken on us multiple times. And so then we begin to lose the ability to trust. And I'm here today to remind you, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not to your own understanding, but all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. Are you with me today? Say yes. And so to trust means to put complete and careless confidence in. If he's that good, if either he's God or he's not. If he's working all things together for my good or he's not. Either he's the one true God or we've all bought into a lie, in which case, oh well, at least we leave, live decent moral lives. But at the end of the day, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he says to us, trust me, trust me, I can see what you can't see. I will get you where you can't get yourself if you'll just trust me. My ways are higher than your ways. Because what you think is right isn't really right because I'm God and I created right. So tracking with me today, jump into John chapter 4. I want to look at this passage and really teach you some great trust truths from this passage of Scripture in John chapter 4 and this engagement that Jesus has with this nobleman, with this royal individual. In verse 46 of John chapter 4, once more he visited Canaan in Galilee where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. Verse 47, when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Now, let me set the scene for you. Jesus had, had turned this miraculous thing, this water into wine in that area, and it, he became super popular in that area. I mean, this dude works miracles. And so when this royal official, one translation translates him out as a little king, He's a little king. He's a royal official. Um, he, you want to talk about privilege. This man has gotten a royal position, not based on his merit, not based, he doesn't live in a democracy. His parents were somebody. They handed it down to him. This man has grown up. You know those people who've never made their own bed? That's who this guy is. You know, we had friends that were from, the, from, from different parts of South America, and uh, they'll move here for a little bit, and then it's amazing because they'll start having kids and stuff, and they'll move back to South America because in South America, where they're from, for $200 a month, they can have a full, uh, they have child care, they can have a nanny in their home for $200 a month. 
For $200 a month, they can hire someone else to cook all their food and clean their house and wash all their clothes. And so they'll come to the United States, and, and, and that, get, that girl's been raised in a home where they had a little, a little more money in South America than all the other people around them. And then she get, comes over here, gets married, gets pregnant, and now all of a sudden she's washing clothes, she's taking care of a baby, and she's like, oh, no, we're going home. We're going home. And because uh, for $200 a month, I can have somebody do all this kind of stuff. This is how this man grew up. He's never done anything for himself like that. He is a royal official. But he's heard that Jesus has come to the area, and he has, he has literally journeyed a day and a half to get to Jesus. And look, at, look what it says in verse 47, one more time. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him, and what did he do? What word? He begged him. This man has never got on his knees. He is distraught because the heir apparent is dying, and there's no way they can, he can be fixed. Obviously, physicians, this man's got money, he's got resources, he's got power, and he can't fix this kid. But Jesus, he heard of, turned water into wine and can do miraculous things. So he goes to him, and, he, and out of love for his son, he humiliates himself, and he begs to him, and he says to him, come and heal this son of mine who is close to death, or who is close to death. Verse 48. You would think that Jesus would be respectful in this moment. Like, wow, even the little kings come and beg to me because they recognize I am the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But look at Jesus' response. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. That dude right there embarrassed him in front of everybody. Jesus called him out. And then verse 49, but the royal official didn't give up. Look what he says. Sir, come down before my child dies. That kind of faith stirred Jesus. And Jesus responded in verse 50, you may go, you may go, you may go. You may go, your son will live. Now this man has an option before him. Does he choose door A or door B? Door A, do what Jesus said, which is Humiliating because he didn't give him any special cloth to take to put on the kid. He didn't say any prayer over him to do anything like that. He told him, You may go, you may go, and the child will live. He told him, You may go, and the Bible says that this man picks door number A instead of B, if you will. And it says, And the man took Jesus. At his word. This is our problem. This is mine and your problem. We don't take him at his word. Yeah, but. I know the Bible says that, but. I've had some experiences that, oh, but. It says, and the man took Jesus at his word and he departed. Verse 51, while he was still on the way, his servants met him and the news that the boy, uh, excuse me, with the news that the boy was living. Verse 52, when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said the fever left him yesterday, because again, it's, an, it's a day and a half journey, at, seven, at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus said to him, your son will live. But that's not even the best part of the whole moment. Keep reading. So he and all, everybody say all. all. Say it again, all. all. He and all his household believed. His household, for a man like this, with the amount of 
workers that he has working for him, the amount of employees, the amount of people that are under his oversight, they all believe. We're probably talking about scores and scores of people. Jesus is less concerned about your little moment with your fever and more concerned that the souls are going to spend eternity separated from God. That's what this whole thing begins to be about. See, when you trust Jesus, you learn that it's not so much about the moment right now, but about the big moment that is to come. And he's always working together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. So with that being said, I want to give you just a couple of trust truths I'm calling. I'm going to give you a number of truths today from this passage that I think will liberate us to begin to trust again, to maybe set us free. I might, the word of God might even spank you a little bit if that's okay, just to tighten you up. Come on, have you ever had to tighten a child up? I had to tighten somebody up this weekend and say, hey, we're not doing that. All right, we're not going to do that. All right, love you, but we're not going to do that anymore. And that's what the word of God does when we, when we eat it. So here's the first trust truth that I would tell you that you can learn from this passage, and that is your fear is bringing Jesus's discipline. Your fear is bringing Jesus's discipline. This man is begging. Begging is a sign of fear. When you're scared, you beg. When you're walking in confidence, you don't have to beg. That's why I always used to get frustrated with people who misappropriated that passage about, about the blood of Jesus, and they would plead the blood of Jesus. I don't have to plead the blood of Jesus. I'm a son of God. I'm a son of the Most High God. I have to plead and beg. He's already paid for it. All I have to do is appropriate it. I plead, I plead. I don't have to plead. He's God, and I'm his son. I appropriate what he's done, and I say, Lord, I thank you that by your stripes I'm healed. I have to plead and beg, oh God, would you please find mercy on me? And would you please, oh God, look past all of my wickedness and say yes to the man who loves you so much. And I don't have to do all that. I'm his son. Your kids don't have to beg and plead. They're your kids. They walk in, hey dad, for Christmas, I'm hoping to get, uh, you know what I want. I don't have to beg and plead. Why? Because they're yours. Jesus doesn't love me because I'm good or bad. He loves me because I'm his. He loves me. He loves the entire world, even when they're disobedient, wicked, and don't want him. He still loves them. He died for them. But he approves of me, not because of my good or badness, if you will. He approves of me because I'm his. And because I'm his, he spanks me when I'm inappropriate. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. And so he disciplines. Your fear is bringing discipline into your life. Why? Because he didn't give you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. So where did this fear come from? That you're so scared that you're going to lose your job. That you're so scared that, 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 you're, that they're going to take your house away. That you're so scared that, 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 that you've got these things from the past that have gotten down in your psyche. And you're so scared that, that, that your husband's going to leave you for another. You've got this fear and it's dominating your life. That is not from God. That is from the pits of hell. Are you with me? Say yes. This is the tactic that the enemy uses because he can't control you. So he's got to try to put fear on you. And if he can get you to accept the fear, then he can di divert you away from the cause and purpose of God. God didn't give you a spirit of fear, so he looks at this man who's begging and pleading, and what does he say to him? All you want is a sign, but no sign's going to be given. He's rebuking and disciplining a bad philosophy. That I just go to Jesus to fix my little problems instead of coming to him as the Lord of my life. And I want to control the way he does it. We'll learn that and some of the other points. Here's the second big trust truth that I would give you, and that is he's trying to teach us this. Doing for you is secondary to Jesus doing in you. Doing for you is secondary to Jesus doing in you. Most everybody that I know struggles with this concept. 
Jesus, I need you to do this for me. I need you to do this for me. The better question would be, Jesus, what are you doing and how can I be a part of it? What do you want to do in me? Because these things that are happening in your life, they either make you stronger or they destroy you based on your decision. Because difficult things happen to good people all day long. What I love about the maturing Christ is that they continue to trust in the Lord no matter what they bump into. We've got a couple folks in our church right now, top-level leaders in Hill City. One of them is looking at, they, they, uh, they have been um, military for many years, and uh, now they've retired, and then they're working with a contract company with the military, and, uh, and they've been there for a few years, and they've built their family model based on their income, and now uh, they are being told that if they don't get the vaccination by a certain time, by the end of this year, they'll lose their job and the pension that they were paying into for them. And I watched this amazing man of God say, I just trust in the Lord. He's going to take care of my family. He's going to take care of me. I will not live in fear. He continues to serve here at Hill City, continues to minister. We got one of our other top leaders uh, who's an only child, and both her elderly parents went down in the same couple of weeks. Went down in the same couple of weeks. And they're running around trying to take care of elderly par- parents that are completely um, being, I mean, losing um, the, the, the strength that they've had. And, and, and I'm watching these adult, mature Christians trust the Lord with all of their heart, lean not to their own understanding, in all their ways acknowledge him, and he's directing their paths. We've got to be men and women who understand this trust walk and stay with him. And it may be more about what he's doing in you than what he's doing for you. You may be praying for this, and Jesus is saying, listen, that's beautiful, but I want to do something in you more than I want to do something for you right now. I want you to become a man of faith instead of you needing every little thing answered in the way you think you need it. Listen, when it comes to this peace, you and I have to understand, he will bring discipline to us because he won't let fear dictate our lives. I was at a swimming pool one time. We were out of town, and there was this dad trying to teach his, you know, six-year-old kid how to swim and the kid was on the edge of the pool and the dad was just just inches from him in the water and he kept saying come on buddy jump to me jump to me and And the dad come on buddy you can do it you can do it and everybody's standing around looking at him like you can do it buddy you can but this kid's gripped with fear the dad's sitting right there and he kept trying to convince the kid i'm not gonna let you i'm your dad and he keeps trying to convince the kid, and the kid would get right on the edge, and he starts shaking. <gasps> he started crying uncontrollably, till finally the dad got out of the pool, walked over to him, and spanked him. Because he said, if you let this fear dominate your life, it'll go into the next level of your existence. It'll go into your teenage years, into your adult years. You've got to break this fear. I can be trusted. I'm your dad. I'm inches from you. Just come on and jump in the water. Got back in the water. And the kid... <sighs> And this thing went on for 30 minutes. Everybody around the pool is like, dear God, this guy is, let it go, sir. Just let him have the fear. But this dad was too wise to let that happen. And he stayed on it and stayed on it till finally that kid just barely just like, just kind of finally gave up on the fear and fell into the dad's arm. And then once he got in the water, he's like, (gasps) why? Because the dad knew what was better for the kid. Because the kid wasn't but six years old and didn't have an understanding that whatever you're scared of will ultimately try to kill you. 
And if you're scared of this water, this water will ultimately be in your life somewhere and ultimately kill you. So you got to face what you're scared of. And I will help you because I'm a good dad. And I will welcome you into my arms. And I will stand there with you in the midst of the water that scares you. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. But he had to discipline that fear out because that fear will destroy you. Because he didn't give you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Number two again, doing for you is secondary then uh, it's secondary to Jesus doing in you. He wanted to work in this man a confidence. So, so much so, it was so much less about the boy getting healed and so much more important about all those people that this man had influence with. Here's the third thing that I would teach you from this passage about trusting, and that is don't expect Jesus to meet you on your terms. That's, that's not trust, that's manipulation. How many times when we were baby Christians or we weren't serving God, did we say, God, if you do this, I'll serve you. If you meet me on my terms, I'll give you this. And Jesus ain't playing that. The man says, sir, you have to come to my son and healing. And Jesus said, boy, y'all so manipulative. You want a sign or you won't believe in me. You want a sign and no miraculous sign is going to be given. Because you want me to do something for you before you'll believe in who I am. I'm the King of kings and the Lord of lords whether you believe in me or not. I love you and I welcome you into my life and welcome you, into, I welcome you to eternity with me. But you get to choose whether or not you're going to trust me. And you and I have to learn that Jesus, I trust you even if I don't understand where we're walking. Even if I bump into things because I didn't hear you right. I trust you. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and him and he will direct your paths. Jesus tells him literally, he says, no sign will be given. And the man says, sir, please come and heal my son. And Jesus says, you can go. You can go. Not on your terms, but you can go. And if you do what I tell you to do, you'll see something supernatural. See, trying to get Jesus on your terms make you, makes you the Lord of your life. Getting on his terms makes him the Lord of your life. And the question is, who is Lord of your life? That's why so many people, they take the badge Christian, but they never submit to his lordship. And I'm teaching you today about the trust walk. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. I'm teaching you how to follow him and let him lead you. And, and, and sometimes you feel blindfolded and you don't really know if that's really his voice. And, and the last time you thought it was his voice, but you bumped into something in it and stubbed your toe as a result of it. And so learning his voice with all the other voices yelling and shouting and, and it's so difficult. But friend, this is the walk of the believer. It is trusting in God. Who else are you going to trust in? You going to trust in our government? You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna trust in your spouse. Your spouse human. Your spouse is going to make mistakes at times. Who are you going to put your complete trust in? You better learn to put it in Jesus. That's what I've learned to do. And there have been many a time that he's led me down paths that I didn't want to go down. There have been many a time that he was working things out of me because it was more important what he was doing in me than what he was doing for me. There are times that I thought he caused me to fail, which wasn't failure at all now that I'm 10 years past it. It was actually part of his master plan to make me the man of God I needed to be. But I didn't like going through it, just like you didn't like that coach who made you do twice as many push-ups as everybody else. Just like you didn't like that one coach who made you guys, who made you guys run the laps, and you're like, this is dumb. I don't want to play for this guy, but ended up winning championships because he understood that if he got you strong enough, that you'd still be strong in the fourth quarter when everybody else was quitting in the third quarter. He understood the longevity of the game. And Jesus understands the longevity of your life. And so what he's doing right now may not be what you like, but it's what you need. 
And you and I need to learn to trust him and not try to bring him on our terms. The little king was used to telling everybody what to do, and now Jesus is telling him what to do. He's used to giving the commands and having the insights on what's best for all the people that he gives oversight to, for the people that he rules over. And now he has to submit to another ruler. And he's standing there with the option. Will I trust or will I not trust? Will I follow, will I obey, or will I not? And in that moment, he believed, I believe he had this revelation, I'd rather do it Jesus' way than my way because my way hadn't worked yet. And he surrendered and he trusted the Lord. Which just brings me then to number four, the fourth point that I trust, point that I would teach you from this passage, and that is don't limit Jesus. This man had an expectation, if I can get, just get Jesus to my son, he'll be healed. Can I just tell you, he can do above and beyond anything you could ever think or imagine. And so what happens to us is we limit him because 20 years ago, we had an experience with God and we think that's how he's going to do it every time with us. And now you've limited him. You put him in a box and you say, God, I know this is how you work. And as a pastor who's been pastoring for over 30 years, I have this problem. This is my problem right here. I know how to get people to come to church. I know what you want. I know how to get you to do it. And I limit Jesus to the little box of what we've done in the past that have worked and the things in the past that, we have, that, that we've done that didn't work. And I literally have to get set free on a daily basis and say, Lord, I trust you. If you tell us to have a service for 17 hours nonstop, I'll do it. But, but I don't know if anybody's going to stay. They're all going to leave. I'm learning to continue as I grow older, to trust his leading, even if it doesn't make sense to me. Are you tracking with me? It is a tough place. It is a scary place. But he will not abandon us. Are you with me? He will not abandon you. He will not leave you. And the joy, guys, the joy of having Jesus as your best friend is that, is that there are new experiences with him every day. New cool stuff to learn and new cool experiences that are miraculous and crazy. And I can't believe that worked. I can't believe you told me to, I felt the whisper of God and you said to do that. And I can't believe it changed that person's life. Like I didn't even think about that would work because he cannot be limited. Don't limit Jesus to your personal experience. Don't limit Jesus to what others have said about him to you. Don't live in, limit him to what you can imagine because he can do above and beyond anything you could ever think or imagine. So you keep thinking, if I can just get my lost adult child to church, they'll get saved because Pastor Adam's so cool. And those are good truths. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, what if God wants to just show up in their bedroom in the middle of the night without anyone ever talking to them? Why can't he do that? At the end of the day, why can't he have some coworker who, 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 who just got radically saved start hanging out with them and start telling them truth that, that you've told them a billion times when they were in Sunday school and in youth group and at youth camp, but they've turned their back on God and they don't believe. Why can't he have some person come into their life that you never saw coming and see, their, see that thing change inside of them? Why can't he do that? He surely can. Why can't they be sitting at their desk, at their job, or working however they work, and all of a sudden, just from nowhere, a Bible from a friend next door or from a, the, the cubicle next to him, hear a guy reading the Bible, and it convicts their heart. Why can he do above and beyond anything we can think or imagine? He can. Stop putting him in a box. Stop trusting him only to the level of your experience. You've got to learn to trust him beyond what your experience is. That's why he's God. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. And here's the, here's the fifth piece I would teach you, and that is this. Take him at his word. Take him at his word. If he says you're above and not beneath, take him at his word. If he says in his holy scriptures, I'll never leave you or forsake you, take him at his word. If he says in the holy scriptures 
that he has picked you before the foundations of the earth, that he has every one of the hairs on your head numbered, that you are his son, that you are his daughter. Take him at his word. Jesus said, sir, you may go, and your son will be healed. And the Bible says that this man did something that most Christians struggle to do. He took him at his word. The Bible says, God says this about himself, I'm not a God that I can lie, that I should lie. I, I, I can't, I will not lie to you. That's what the word says. He won't lie to you. So if he said it, he'll do it. If he communicated in his holy scriptures that it's truth, then it's truth. Take him at his word. This is where our problem is at. We struggle to take him at his word. Because we like things on our linear time frame. But he's outside of time and space. That's why Hebrews chapter 11 says that these different ones that by faith did this thing and by faith they did this thing. And it got to the end and said many of them never even saw it in their lifetime. But it came to pass through their children's children. You take him at his word. How he brings it to pass. He's not limited to your little life existence. He's not limited to mining your time on this earth or living in Texas or wherever we may end up. He is outside of time and space. And if he said it's going to happen, whether we get to see it in our lifetime or not, but we hold on to it and take him at his word. I take him at his word. He said it. I believe it. That settles it. And when you and I come to that place, now we're on this beautiful trust walk. I mean, now we're at that place where we say, okay, Lord, you said in your word, you've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor your seed begging for bread. I don't have money to pay the bills, but I trust you. I trust you. That's what you said. So I'm, tr- I'm taking you at your word that you've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor your seed begging for bread. Lord, you said in your holy word that you love me with an everlasting love. And I've blown it so bad. I've hurt so many people. But Lord, I take you at your word that you will not leave me, that you love me with an everlasting love, no matter how stupid I am. Somebody needs to hear that today. You need to take him at his word. You say, I blew it. I, I just hadn't done right. Take him at his word that he loves you with an everlasting love, a love that cannot be, cannot be thrown out, cannot be done away with. He loves you and will keep loving you and will keep loving you and cannot stop loving you because you are his no matter how much you mess it all up and no matter how much you break it all. He loves you with an everlasting love. Which brings me to the sixth and final piece. And you know, normally I don't do this many points, but this passage is so rich with truth about the trust walk. And this brings me to number six, and that is you and I have to learn to completely obey. Jesus told him, you may go. That man had an option. He could have hung around, tried to get another personal meeting with Jesus. He's gone. He's traveled a day and a half. He's not traveled by himself either. A man like this, a man of this. I mean, they showed up in the blacked out Denali's. The windows are all blacked out. Dudes have jumped out of the car. Okay, all right, we're going left right now. Coming up to this dude named Jesus. He's got security personnel, security detail. People know who he is. He's a ruler. He's a royal official of an area. They know who he is. He's the governor of such and such, if you will. He showed up. He's traveled a day and a half. Come on, some of you guys went an hour and a half down the road for Thanksgiving. You're like, I don't know if we can do this next year. This is just... Good Lord. This just wears me out, you know, it just wears me out. In your air-conditioned, air heated, seated car. I mean, you, I mean, oh. these jokers are riding donkeys and camels. Day and a half, man. It's gritty. It's nasty. They don't have porta-potties. Come on, you tracking with me? They pooping in holes in this desert, you know. And they show up, and she's like, you can go. Like, that's it? 
Like, that's all I got. He took him at his word, and then he obeyed him. And in that obedience, that's when the miracle happened. By the time, you know, so as he took off a day and a half, I picture that they took off from the miracle moment situation with the kid and somehow met right before they got, he got home. And that's when his servants told him, your kid's well. Fever broke. It's a miracle. And he said, when did that happen? It happened yesterday at the seventh hour. <laughs> he goes, you got to be kidding me. He's looking around and all the guys are like, that's a big one. It happened the moment that he obeyed, that he took him at his word and he obeyed. Christianity is not as hard as you and I make it out to be. He's told us amazing things to do and to be. Our problem is we struggle to obey. Like, oh, I don't know. Pray for those who do wrong to you. Love your enemies. Go to your brother when they sinned against you. If you're in the midst of worship and you realize you've offended your brother, stop your worship and go and say, look, I had this moment while I was worshiping. I realized the other day I didn't mean that, but it kind of, the Spirit of the Lord revealed it to me that I did that to you. I am so sorry. The reason, and the reason why we have all the stress and strife in our life, we keep bumping into things because we don't obey. When he says left, we go left. And when he says right, we go right. When he says forward, we go forward. When he says backward, we go backward. But the problem is this trust walk it works, it works against what we think is the right way to do it because we were raised in an environment where you don't let nobody get over on you. You do everything you can to fight to get to the top. Don't trust nobody. Don't try, I never get my grandmother telling me, you don't trust nobody, baby. Everybody do you dirty. Trust yourself. And I carried that for many years. I carried that for me until I started reading in the Word. I, trust the Lord. And then, and then the Lord giving me the ability to help and trust others. To, to look at my, my neighbor, not as my enemy, but to look at my neighbor like Jesus looked at this man's household as people that will spend eternity separated from the living God if something doesn't happen here. That man's obedience didn't just heal his son, but healed an entire generation, a, an entire lineage of people. Because think about it. Some of you are Christians because your grandma was a Christian. Your mom and dad were Christians. You're a Christian because you had good inheritance. You had a, you had a good legacy. Some of you didn't have that. But this entire, do you think this man, his kids are now serving God. His, 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 his workers are serving God. His entire household got saved, which means probably that affected his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren. Some of you may be related to this dude. No idea. You got Jewish blood in you somewhere. But Jesus was more concerned about the lineage than he was about the right now need. And you've got to lift up your eyes and see beyond the fact that you just, your car's not working so good. And say, I'm sitting here at this mechanic and I don't want to be here, but God, what do you want to do in the midst of this? Because I'm here and they're here. How can I bring love and light and truth to the people that I'm sitting with in this waiting room instead of complaining, <clears throat> instead of being mad about my, my moment right now? God, what are you doing in this? I want to trust you that everything works together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. What does, he, what does the word say about your situation right now? What does it say? Everything <clears throat> that I'm trying to do in my life every day and every problem that I, that I run into, I, I'm going back and trying to figure out, Lord, what does your word say about it? Let me just obey that. If I'll just obey that, you'll work all things together for the good. 
This is the trust walk, friends. It's a trust walk. It's not easy. It's not, it's not comfortable. But the moment that you ease into the Lord, I'll just put myself in your hands, and you just say left, right, and I'll go that way. The comfort that happens because you no longer are having to be in charge of your life. Have you ever been in charge of a large number of people? Is it not the scariest thing in the world? Especially when things don't go right and they're blaming you? All of you should try it sometime. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Every day I tell people I make decisions to make somebody mad and somebody happy. That's what leadership's about. And uh, so many times I said, God, I don't want to do this anymore. I would rather, I, I mean, it's the difference between being the manager and, and being the waiter. Lord, just let me wait on the tables. And if they get mad, the manager can deal with it. And if I don't feel like going to work, the manager can deal with it. But each and every one of us, God wants to entrust us with the hurting people of this world. And you and I then have to trust him. And so the trusting in him is so much easier. When you're in charge, you're the manager. I'm just showing up, Jesus. Tell me what to do. It is so much more enjoyable than to try to to tell God what he should be doing and how to fix the things in my life. It's called trust for a reason. And I love what Mother Teresa said. She said, I know God will not give me anything that I cannot handle. I just wish he didn't trust me so much. Mother Teresa said, I just wish he didn't trust me so much. I know he won't give me more than I can handle. I just wish he didn't trust me so much. The Lord trusts you even as you learn to trust him. Would you do me a favor? Would you stand with me quickly across the room? Hey, everybody. Wasn't that a great message? I know that as we speak, your life is being changed by the word of the Lord. So here's what I want you to do. Take some time to think about it. Consider it, pray, and ask the Lord how you can apply it to your life today and this week. And maybe there's something that he's asking you to change or do differently in your life. So let's not let this be something that we just watch and then walk away like nothing happened. We're so grateful to be able to hear the word of the Lord. You weren't here in person today, but you're here with us online and that matters. And if you made a decision for Christ today, we wanna know, we wanna know how to come alongside you and how to support you and how we can best pray for you. So please, if you did make that decision for Christ today, text the word DECIDED to 469-606-2684. We can't wait to see you back next week, same time, same place. Share these posts with your friends. Share it on your social media. Blast it out there. Don't be greedy and keep it to yourself. We love you and we'll see you soon. God bless.